Hey everybody, live from the car, truly mobile again. Now, anyways, welcome to the green room of Disrupt TV. And we are here with some amazing guests. We're gonna do quickly do some introductions as to where they're coming in from today. And more importantly, what they're talking about real quickly. And then we will kick off the show. I'm Ray Wan with Constellation Research with my awesome co-host Fala Afshar and our amazing producer, L. So let's start with our guests. All right, so I don't know, Celia, where are you coming in from today? What are you talking about? Hey, Ray, I'm coming in from Atlanta and great to be here with you. I'm CMO over at Barron's and we're going to talk about some of the latest research we've done around customer engagement, what, what we're seeing in the market. Very, very cool. That's always a great research report that we look forward to. Kathy, hey, are everyone. you really here? Is that you? Is that an avatar? What's going on here? It's really me. It's not my, it's not my AI double or my avatar or any other virtual representation of me. Uh, so I'm thrilled to be back. Well, welcome back. And uh, where are you coming in from, other than from some stable diffusion that we don't know about? <laughs> um, right outside Washington, D.C. And yeah, just thrilled to be catching up on Metaverse, you know, everything, the craziness that's going on with, with Gen AI and all the hype. Um, would love to talk about Gen Alpha and then also, you know, anything, anything virtual fashion. Love to chat about that. So Yes, you're doing luxury tech. Amazing luxury tech. All right, cool. Well, I guess we're set. We're in the green room and we're ready to go. Back to you, Al. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research in a car. Uh, he's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Uh, he's a regular television, business, and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong in a car. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, the chief evangelist for Salesforce, but he's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence and maybe writing a new book. We'll find out. Executives around the world are paying attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets and when not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce. You can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, writing on ZDNet with his insightful analysis. But it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And who do we have to kick it off? in person 
We are so lucky to have uh, Kathy Hackle, Chief Metaverse Officer, Founder of Journey and Founder of Verselux. Kathy is a leading tech executive with expertise in the Metaverse, Web3, and emerging technologies. Kathy's a keynote speaker, author, sought after advisor who has spent her career exploring the intersection between technology and human experience. Kathy was recently included in inaugural Vogue Business 100 Innovators List, a group handpicked by Vogue business team of editors and for change makers who are challenging what it means to be successful in the world of fashion and beauty. Kathy recently launched her own luxury tech label called uh, Verselux, which is part label, part lab, and was created to explore the future of fashion and luxury. In 2021, Kathy was included in the prestigious Thinkers 50 list of 30 manager, management thinkers most likely to shape the future of how organizations are managed and led. Kathy is the author of various books, including her most recent book, Into the Metaverse, The Essential Guide to Business Opportunities of the Web3 Era. Please follow Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Hackle, C-A-T-H-Y-H-A-C-K-L. Welcome back, Kathy, to Disrupt TV. I am thrilled to be back with you guys chatting about everything future tech and whoo, how this is just going so fast. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great to it have you. It is awesome. And the last time I remember seeing you, I got to touch the real copy of the book. I think it was just about to come out right at Davos. And it was kind of amazing to see that. And you were talking about really how this physical world and the virtual world are coming together. And where better to start that really in fashion? Talk about why fashion has taken off. Um, maybe you were at NFT in New York City, perhaps, but maybe not. But you saw like a lot of fashion pickup, the arts world, the luxury world. They seem to be converging. What's driving that? Yeah, it's a really exciting time in fashion. I think technology and fashion have never been closer as they are right now. And it's a really exciting space. So I'm a tech person, right? I'm a I've been in tech for a long time. And I kind of got welcomed with open arms into the fashion industry, which is not very common, <laughs> right? Um, but right now, what you're seeing is that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people in the tech space, whether it's AI, Metaverse, Web3, wherever they are in that space, they're being welcomed into the fashion industry. You know, a lot of us are getting invited to fashion shows and we're on the front row, whereas you know, before I would go to a fashion show and someone would ask, what do you do? And I said, I work in tech. And at that moment, they were like, why is a tech person at a fashion show now? But <laughs> uh, Right. It was like, but now it's like it's they really are embracing tech, um, you know, and you've got brands like Gucci, you know, Gucci doing amazing things. Some of the brands I've worked with, like Ralph Lauren, Nike, Louis Vuitton, also following suit. You've got Tommy Hilfiger looking at that space. I mean, it's I don't know. I think the answer to your question is I think fashion understands that culture moves fast. And that culture is created in many different places, including virtual spaces, right? And I think that they're embracing that. They understand they need to remain cult culturally relevant and they need to innovate. Um, so, yeah, they plus, you know, I think some of these brands are risk takers. They like taking a little bit of risk, right? So it's, it's just been exciting. To me, it's kind of poetic that it is fashion and art kind of leading the way in some of these sorts of things. We saw last year Dali generating uh you know hundreds of different variants of address on on a on a on a, on a model and then yesterday if, it, if i'm not mistaken elon musk tweeted about how ai generated fashion should uh, uh, uh should flourish so that the suggested designs can be produced quickly i think he was uh in love with the the, the ai generated winter white coat 
that was placed on the Pope yeah. a, week, a few weeks ago. He has commented about that a number of times. What are your thoughts about this incredible disruptive potential of generated AI fashion options and how uh, some of these luxury brands could quickly bring these ideas to life and into the market? Yeah, I think we're already starting to see that. The funny part is he tweets that, right? And I actually was following some of the conversation in, in the virtual fashion space. And uh, Megan Casper, who uh, who's one of the members of the Red DAO, which is an investment, a, a virtual fashion and future fashion investment DAO, um, actually tweeted back at him and said, well, one of our one of the companies we invested in actually already had Grimes in virtual AI couture on the cover of the magazine, right? Um, it's called Cyber. So I was like, oh my gosh, perfect moment. Um, <laughs> Interesting conversion. I mean, it's, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation because Metaverse Fashion Week just happened, right? And it wasn't, you know, they didn't get the numbers that they got as the year before. Definitely some, a bit of a cool down. But next week in New York is AI Fashion Week, yep. right? <laughs> so this is happening. These things are progressing. AI is being incorporated both in the design, the thinking, the collaboration and creation of, of, uh, of fashion. But I think it's, you know, it's going to be incorporated, obviously, Lots of conversation around models, the future of modeling, the future of the modeling agency, you know, with Levi's announcing they're going to be using AI to add more diverse, um, you know, per people to their campaigns. I'm like, well, but why don't you just hire diverse people? It'd be a lot easier. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting moments. Um, I think the fashion industry themselves are trying to think about what does this mean, right? What does this mean for them as they're creating clothes for humans, right? In the physical world, but eventually do they create clothes for, you know, does avatar fashion become something they do? I've talked a lot about direct to avatar becoming the next direct to consumer or a path forward for fashion. So um, it's an exciting time, but an ex yeah. a, a time of a lot of, a lot of uncertainty in some ways. Sure, sure. I have a follow-up question. Uh, I've been told with all uh, terabytes of data has been collected for a large language model spe specific to race fashion, but all they find is a black constellation jacket. <laughs> so do you have any Same advice? Same data over and over again. Any, yeah. <laughs> any advice how we can tune the LLMs for race fashion advice? Yeah, I think we're going to have to <laughs> add a little mix there, some color, put you in a nice little virtual couture. You know, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I, I, we are looking for a new look. I am looking for a new look, so I will be shopping for one. Oh, um, right. But speaking about new looks and couture, though, I mean, you actually launched a new, you had Verse Lux, and you launched one of your new debut ventures, Frills. So I want to talk about that and talk about how that worked. You're talking about jewelry, NFC chips, yeah. and you're working with Simone. This is pretty wild. Tell us more about what that is and, and, and how you guys got together and how, how it came about. Yeah, so in my day-to-day, -day, like my traditional job, I work at Journey as Chief Metaverse Officer, as you mentioned. But I also, I'm also a creator. I'm like you guys. Like, I need to be doing things. I need to be testing the tech and, and, and doing things, right? So I said, well, I need my own creative playground. And, you know, fashion is my, my, the space that I love. And I said, I'm going to launch my own uh, luxury tech label. I had seen several of my male counterparts doing similar things. They were doing things with t-shirts and sneakers and hoodies. And I love that, but I wanted something different, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll wear t-shirts and hoodies and sneakers all the time, but I wanted jewelry. Jewelry is a little bit harder to do, right? Um, so I come, came up with the concept of Verse Lux. It is a luxury tech label, part label, part lab, Right. So the whole idea is that we grab technology. We start with technology to create luxury, to create new luxury. Um, and then we have capsule collections. So the first capsule mm. collection, Thrills, nice. mentioned, 
And the idea and the concept here is like, I keep hearing of like the idea of like the no frills airline or the no frills hotel. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't care. I want life with all the frills. Like I want all the frills. So that was the whole idea and the concept be, be, behind the first capsule collection. So what we did is we actually, I came across these, um, these chips called halo chips. They're NFC chips, but you mint them into physical NFTs, right? So I came across these and I said, how do I start from the technology? How do I use these to design something? And then what we ended up creating was actually a whole jewelry collection, um, 200 units, but it's basically jewelry. So physical jewelry and silver, gold plated and 18 karat gold that has the technology at the center. When you buy the physical piece, you actually have to scan it and it'll immediately through a process, you have to mint it, will go on chain, right? Nice. So the whole idea in the premise there is to create both luxury but also potential legacy, right? An item that is a physical item that remains on chain that will remain with you and your kids could inherit it, et cetera. So, yeah. All you need is an insurance product against that. I actually have a client that might be able to help you. This ah. is actually pretty wild. I'm going to connect you guys after the show. Wait, sorry. Look, oh, go ahead, Bala. So. So, so the last time you were on Disrupt, uh, we were talking about uh, navigating the metaverse. Uh, and this year, uh, your latest book is into the metaverse there we go fantastic uh business opportunities of the web three era so this book introduced us mm -hmm. to the potential in your new book you're, you're talking about what companies should consider uh, in, in fact you even say and, and it's funny i'm meeting in two weeks i'm going to spain to meet with telefonica at telco yeah. and telefonica last year appointed a chief metaverse officer Last year, so at Telco, you know, I wouldn't say a digital native company, they're super innovative, but they have a chief uh, metaverse officer. So, so tell us about the book and why you wrote it as a follow up to this great book. And also a follow up question, should every company have a chief metaverse officer? I get that question a lot. This is what I'll tell you. And I was very early on talking to Telefonica on their journey. So please say hi to Jose Maria, Chema. Yeah, that's a, those are the people I'm meeting. I'm meeting with Jose Maria and Chema. That's yeah, fun. of course. Oh, that was a small so world. So um, Jaisa is actually their chief metaverse officer. I love that she's a woman. Uh, so there's actually like several women like Joanna Popper, Jaisa, Telefonica. Um, the person at L'Oreal is also a woman who's chief metaverse officer. So very thrilled that that, that, that is happening. Does everyone need a chief metaverse officer? This is what I'll tell you. I don't think everyone needs a C-suite role that is called chief metaverse officer, but I think every company, well, most let's say Fortune 1000 and maybe some smaller ones, needs someone in their company to help guide them in the space, right? That helps them, that understands all the different mm -hmm. converging yep, yep, yep. Right, whether they use chief metaverse officer and whether it leaves, in, you know, this role lives in the C-suite, that's up to each company to decide, but they do need leaders that understand this, right? Whether they use, you know, head of metaverse and crypto or head of web three or head of whatever, whatever role they, whatever title they want to use. Right. Um, I think that every company will need this. Um, you know, one of the reasons I think is exactly what's happening right now where generative AI is taking, you know, the headlines, right? Everyone's really focused on that. And that is transcendental. But to me, AI is an enabling technology for the metaverse. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. because AI is right now the, you know, what everyone's focusing on, that the metaverse is dead, right? The metaverse no, is- I think generative AI is going to enhance the metaverse. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get content velocity like crazy. Exactly. So, so it's that kind of that mentality. And then you have people in the company saying, oh, the metaverse is dead. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me explain what's happening. It's a cool down moment because it was overhyped. So we have a bit of metaverse hangover. The metaverse is a long-term proposition, right? So I think that's where these people in these organizations can help 
people understand. It's like, no, it's not either or, it's everything. It's all converging, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, does everyone need one? Not necessarily, right? But everyone needs someone to help them understand this crazy fast conversion of technology. Whew, that is just, you know, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> and I agree with Ray, as generative AI reduces the cost of creating content, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the notion of enhancing digital twins and, and adapting and making real-time changes, I mean, the volume, veracity, and the ability to create content is going to be such an exponential leap that uh, environment, digital twins and environments like the metaverse will absolutely benefit from the, the adjacency and the combination of the technologies. Go ahead, Ray. Oh, no, and I agree with that, you know, what, what Ball is saying. And then one of the controls that we're going to need are we're going to have an exponential amount of disinformation, right, and fakes and all these other things. And so having those tools to be able to actually you know, find those or seek them out, um, you know, payments for royalties and, and, you know, making sure creators aren't getting cheated out of their works, right? We're going to see a lot of that work, uh, you know, evolve over time. I mean, especially given how easy it is, you know, because I, you know, if you really want the Constellation black jacket fashion and you steal that from me, I'm coming after you. So. <laughs> hey, put it on the chain quickly. Put it on, on the chain. I'm putting it on the chain. I'll put it on chain. Okay. It on chain. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. It's a really interesting moment because it's so much content, so many things being created, you know, who's, who really owns what, et cetera. I mean, even the copyright laws, right? Even, even the legalities of what the content that is being created, you know, mind-blowing consequences, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I am, I'm excited about the work being done with blockchain around, you know, uh, provenance, you know, making sure that something is what it says it is, those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in definitely seeing how that progresses. Also, digital identity, right? For example, Sandy Carter, or all our friends, you know, she's yeah, our friend. Yeah. <laughs> what they're doing with with digital identity, I think, is pivotal. Yeah, all these sorts of things are just progressing so incredibly fast. Um, but I think provenance yeah. is going to be key in understanding those sorts of things. So, yeah, provenance is big. And then the other thing I'm I'm going to ask you is really about hey, when we look towards the future, right? Five years out from now, I mean, it's almost like will we be talking about the metaverse or will it just be there and we're completely immersed? Because I remember hearing you say something uh, to someone in the in the back of the audience when we're catching up at Davos and we had the metaverse panel there. I mean, there was these conversations, and you know, it's, where do you see that future? And and it kind of like what couple, you know. Lay out the steps as to how we get there. So. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be like one day we arrive and the metaverse is here and we'll be like, oh, it's here, right? It's a progress. It's a progression, right? We're Disneyland. Going, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's we <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's obviously over yeah. the next couple of years. I think in my in my mind, if we're talking about the word metaverse in ten years, I don't think that that's really where we're heading. I think it's just going to be how we experience the future state of the internet. Right, whether we use the term metaverse or not, I don't know. Do I want to be the godmother of the metaverse <laughs> forever? No, not really. <laughs> that's, that's no, it. but you are. <laughs> you are. You're, you're too I, young to have um, godmother anywhere in your title, but yes, yes, you are. No, so it's it's really interesting for me to see that. Um, you know, I what I'm really focused on, right? And there's a lot of speculation, we all know this, right? Around what is Apple gonna bring to market, what does that mean? So what I'm trying to think through is in the next five years, starting to think about what is the post-smartphone future? Like, is it glasses or is it something that is screenless? Like Humane obviously has a oh, proposition. Connected to your head. Yeah. <laughs> Neuralink. Neuralink. <laughs> um, you know, what does the post-smartphone future look, look like? And what does that mean in terms of the metaverse and all these technologies? Um, so, yeah, like I'm spending a, a, a lot of time thinking through that post-smartphone future. Think about Gen Alpha. 
kind of how they're impacting the market, the numbers that we're going to see in, in developing countries yeah. on Gen Alpha. Um, so so I'm, I'm really focused on that, not so much thinking of the word metaverse. I'm over trying to define it. I'm over debating it. Like, let's build it. Let's yeah, build yeah. it. That's my focus. Oh, my God. Those debates were ridiculous. You're completely right. We're here with Kathy Hackle, Chief Metaverse Officer and Founder at Journey and Founder of Verse Lux, but also the godmother of the metaverse. You can follow her on Twitter at Kathy Hackle, H-A-C-K-L, and get her new book, Into the Metaverse. So thanks a lot. And thanks for being on the show. <laughs> yeah. No, get both. <laughs> get both. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, thank you. You know, 20 years later, we're still talking about cloud computing. So the word cloud hasn't dropped in 10 years. We've been talking about digital. So it's amazing how long it takes for terminology to be to fade into the vernacular. Uh, OK, our next guest, we're, again, a privilege for us to have Celia Fleischaker, CMO of Verant. Celia has more than 20 years of enterprise software. She started when she was 15, marketing experience, <laughs> and currently serves as chief marketing officer of Verant. Celia is responsible for developing and executing brand and marketing strategies to build Varian's success as a leading provider of customer engagement for thousands of organizations around the globe, including 85% of the Fortune 100. Prior to her uh, CMO position at Varian, Celia served as Chief Marketing Officer of Pros and Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President for Epicor Software Corporation. Please follow Celia on Twitter at C-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-A. K-E-R. Welcome back, Celia. It's been a minute uh, to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Great to have you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And I think we had you pre-COVID, which is really scary when we go back and look at this. I, mean, I can't believe it's been that long. So... <laughs> But yeah, so let's talk about, you know, the, the most important thing. You've got a customer engagement survey. You guys do this every year, the study that comes out. And what are the top line headlines? Like what, what are the things that shocked you, especially when we look at between the last time we talked to you and now post-COVID? So. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been crazy. It has been a few years, right, since we've been together. And, it, you know, customer engagement's kind of been turned upside down over the last few years, which has been crazy. Um, and we've been surveying each of those years. So that first year of the pandemic, we did a survey and then last year, and then we just came out with the results from this year's. And it's been really interesting. We talked to about two to 3,000 customer engagement professionals around the world. And that first year, they were all like just navigating the change and what's happening. And the second year, we were all about how do you handle the workforce and the great resignation and all that's going on. What we saw this year, what crept into the results were, hey, we're, we're concerned we're, that things are shaky, the economy, what's going to happen to our mm. budget, how are we going to you know, fund and elevate customer mm. experience? And, and what we saw was there was a stratification of people that were either really confident that they were going to navigate these challenges, and then there were people that were just not so confident. And we kind of dug into that. And surprising or not surprising, those people that were highly confident were the ones that had said, hey, we invested in digital channels over the last couple of years. We are confident in our ability to have our customers self-serve. Um, that was really clear. And, 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 and the other thing that we saw was a real difference in industries. So Ooh, with industries, okay. yeah, this is actually new data. Was it like regulated versus non-regulated or is it just some industries were doing better than others? It was really what it seemed like the industries that were more confident, a lot more confident, like in the 80% or so 
were retail and financial services. And if you think about what happened to them over the last couple of years, they were the most impacted in terms of struggling to how am I going to balance my brick and mortar with my digital business and experience. And they're the ones who really had to throw the playbook out and restart to during the pandemic. And so it makes sense that they were the ones who probably invested more heavily in digital and self-serve. Now the ones at the bottom, you can draw your own conclusions were healthcare and insurance. Oh, no. Yeah. And insurance. I was wow. surprised at that, but it was, it was a pretty big difference. You had the confidence levels of retail and financial services north of 80%, highly confident. Healthcare and insurance were down in that 50s. Well, yeah, difference. so it was, it was pretty significant. Celia, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos uh, once said, I often get asked the question, what will, what will change in 10 years from now? And he said, rarely do I get asked the question, what will not change 10 years from now? And he said, in my opinion, the second question is more important. If you know what is going to stand the test of time in terms of what your customers expect from you, high quality, affordable price, whatever it may be, that's what should guide your design principles and how you engage with your stakeholders. You've had three years of uh, surveys. Yeah. Uh, in, in the beginning of the pandemic, towards the end, and now, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, most people feel like we're, we're hopefully past the, the crisis, moment of crisis. Have you noticed constants in the three surveys in terms of what is, is, is uh, you know, a pillar that remains uh, the same in terms of customer engagement, best practice, or what business leaders think we, we should have? I think, well, one of the constants is that expectation from a customer keeps going up. So that's certainly It's not, not dropping? Good. You mean it's going up? Darn. <laughs> nope, not going up or down. And, but then I think what hasn't changed, which is interesting, is there's still engagement says it all, right? There's still this in, desire to engage and, and engage in a human way that as much technology as we insert into the equation with customer engagement, there still needs to be an avenue for at least feeling like it's human. If it's not a physical interaction where you're going into a store, you still want to have that personalized. You want to feel like you're being taken care of. And we, so in the technologies that people are implementing, how do you, how do you bring that out and pull it together so that it's not these isolated moments that customers are experiencing, but it's a, it's a designed or orchestrated engagement where when they move from one channel to the next, that they're um, it's connected and they, they feel like, you know, them. And so I think that's what we've seen is as much technology changes, people still want to feel that engagement and that's personalized and for them. Yeah, it makes sense. Can I, can I just, uh, Go ahead, Ray, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, we had head of uh, Google's uh, conversation on AI digital assistant on our show last week, and he's been in this space for two decades, building the most advanced uh, yeah. you know, uh, AI and ML systems in terms of NLP and lang uh, conversational AI. And, and he talked about, you can detect tone, you can detect sentiment, you can adjust to informal, formal, it's amazing. <laughs> and of course, you would know it's yeah. a very sweet spot. Uh, a variant does this as well. It's amazing how human it can feel, even though it's not. 
So uh, can you talk about, and, and we, our last guest mentioned generative AI and, and, uh, and, and the expectations, as you said, will constantly grow because uh, we saw ChatGPT go to five, you know, across a million users in five days and a hundred million in 60 days, fastest adoption of any tech ever. So, yeah, which validates your point of that one constant is people are gonna <laughs> adopt and expect amazing real-time personalized smart engagements. What are your thoughts about the fact that it's really difficult to know uh, whether you're engaging with an algorithm or a person. Yeah, um, gosh, it is amazing what Chat GPD has done, and the, like the, I think just the awareness around it yeah. that it's created is. Um, you may not love the technology or be certain about that in particular, but at the same time, that so many people have experienced the power of conversational AI and been surprised yeah. at. Um, how good it is or could be the right AI and tech. And so, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't, it's not always transparent that you're talking to a human or not, but if you've got, I think that that conversational eye down and as good as it can be, I, I think that's okay. I think as long as the customer experience yeah. is strong, that it's giving them what they need. I, I think yeah. that's, that's great, right? Like put your people to work yep. on other things, augment them with the conversational AI and let them handle the things where it just doesn't work or where someone does require person to person. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing that shift. And, and if you look at, you know, I, I want to go back to your survey, right? The uh, This was the experience index, right? That you guys are updating is that as well? The, um, yeah, it was a customer engagement, um, it, engagement capacity gap survey, yeah. There's an engagement capacity gap survey, and you also have an experience index that you guys do, do. which is a different survey that comes out later this year, uh, later in the like later in June, I believe, is when that comes out. Um, when you look at that, right, that customer sentiment and CSAT in general, right, is that going up for customers with all this new technology and the customer experiences that we're trying to give them, or is it coming down or staying the same? Back to your earlier point, that expectations are going up. This, that's it's such a great question. It's funny when um, this gets posed to the Dan, our CEO, sometimes because you know he's he he's the founder, right? He's been in the space for a while, and it's his and biggest, a data like, geek. frustration because he's like, it should be higher, right? We've done so much, and how do we get it better? <laughs> um, I think we're at that point where it is it is starting to turn. We've seen some some shifts in different, and we do that DXI by industry, which is really cool. Um, and we're seeing improvements again, though, it's aligned to what those companies have done in the industry, where they've invested in tech, how they're putting it to use. Um, and I think we're seeing tech um, conversational AI, the connection of these different channels, the, the ability to handle complex engagements that we maybe haven't been able to do, pull all that data together so you know the customer better. That is driving a better experience. And so tech, technology is catching up and is, is good enough, I think, in a way to really drive that MPS higher, maybe more so than it has been in the past. That's great. Uh, Celia, I mean, uh, so you're a CMO of a company that's uh, very close to approaching a billion in annual revenue. So an incredible CMO of an incredible company. <laughs> What advice do you have for CMOs of enterprise, enterprise-sized business such as yours, sure. in terms of the balance of art and science when it comes to marketing? Because we're talking about some really cool technology, but we're talking about the human touch. And at the end of the day, 
you know, experiences lead to connections and connections lead to relationships. And that's ultimately the goal of uh, uh, reciprocity in terms of value. So you can earn a relationship yeah. and that's how you stay engaged. Uh, uh, so, so how much more science is, are you and your team applying to, to the, to the, uh, to, to marketing <laughs> compared to maybe, you know, a few years ago. And can you talk to us about the trajectory of art and science as you go forward? Yeah, I think there's, I, I'm a science gal, right? I started as a coder. So um, I think there's a lot more room for a lot more science in marketing. And I think that it um, doesn't necessarily replace the human or art side, but it augments it in a way that's really a, a great thing for marketers. Um, I think there's a tendency to stand behind the tech and I think it's very important to get out in front of it and, and develop those relationships, stay very close to that customer because they're driving so much of what you need to do yeah. as a marketer today. And, and I think the last thing is to look beyond your traditional MarTech stack, right? Because what we're seeing now, um, mm. you know, from a variant perspective, especially, but we're seeing our, our clients take exactly what you were talking, take that information, that data from transcribing that call and putting it into chat GPT and understanding what's happening with that interaction um, that I don't have to wait for MPS, right? Like that, that's great, but my MPS, you know, I get that response from a small percentage of my customers. Why, why do I have to do that? I have my customers all engaging with me. I can get their feedback real time. I can analyze all those conversations, both text and voice, and know exactly how they feel totally. about me. Totally. And that's such a better indication of customer set. 100%. What a great, what a great, great, great comment because technology exists today for you as a company to predict uh, advocacy and loyalty. So predictive use of NPSC yes. and also prescribe the actions you need when you see the CSAT or NPS eroding. Uh, yeah. So there's enough unstructured and structured data and in process tone sentiment analysis where the models, the foundational models, should be able to guide the agent and the executive sponsor and whomever is responsible for touching that account from your company's point of view to auto-correct uh, any, uh, you know, anytime you drift away from your brand promise, anytime you detect Absolutely. someone who's frustrated. That's a great, I hope people are listening because Celia just dropped like a massive wisdom nugget <laughs> that needed to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway. I feel like your oh. week is done. Okay. <laughs> your week is done. You don't have to do anything else. I think every CMO should be listening to this. That was no. awesome. That was awesome. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry. So as a former no, CMO, no. I so got that. That was awesome. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's a, I, I, you know, I mean, as part of that, right, as we're seeing that evolution, you know, the channels are falling apart. No one cares what channels you're in, right? The experiences have to be right there. Our ability to deliver next best action is, is starting to improve as we get better signals, yeah. right? So we can actually start popping up. Um, I mean, the life of a CMO is not getting easier, though. Right. This is the interesting thing. Right. So so even with this mastery that's happening there, like what advice do you have for other CMOs as well? Right. As they're navigating that MarTech stack, are you in massive consolidation mode? Are you trying to do different things, you know, with that technology to automate, to, to get to another level? Right. Are you so data driven now that maybe your people don't have the gut sense of what's going on or like, like you have to rehumanize them back into the process, right? We've heard that from a lot of CMOs. That's why I'm going to see like, are you experienced those kind of issues? I think, um, 
We're definitely driving more and more tech into the stack and figuring out how we use it. And data is a huge part of that. One of, you know, we're putting more AI and looking at how we might use AI in the stack and, and not just AI for AI's sake and the insights, but how does AI help us drive the automation that we want to do? Yep. So making us more efficient as a team. Yeah, this, this yeah. is going to be the, the year that defines productivity and efficiency across not just the tech landscape, but all of business. Very, uh, very continues to make acquisitions. You continue yeah. to enhance uh, your portfolio uh, as, as recent as January of this year. Can, can you tell, give us uh, uh, insights in terms of uh, uh, what we can expect from Rarent this year, 2023? Yeah, I'll talk about the January acquisition because it's a pretty cool one. It's this company called Cudini out of the uh, UK. Scheduling, yes. Yes, it does appointment scheduling. And some people are like, well, why that? And um, a couple of reasons. If you think about how both brick and mortar and digital have changed, one of the expectations that people have come forward with or are interested in is how do I make the most use of my time. I want to set an appointment. I want someone to be there to help me. And that could be in a bank with a mortgage. It could be in a retail outlet. It could be um, in a contact center. So, so this concierge level service, bringing that to our consumers. And at the same time, that has the advantage of from a, the company side, I know where my employees need to be and, and the pull on them. My forecasting and scheduling engine gets a lot better knowing that and we had research that told us that you know what if you offer this type of solution that 76 percent of consumers believe that they're going to have a better experience they're going to want it more and so that's what qdini does it lets you go in you can set that appointment in your bank with a retailer you can set up queuing you've got you know that concierge level access to like a contact center and um, it's pretty, it's cool. We're really excited about it. That's awesome. Wow. Well, hey, congratulations, right? I mean, Thank anything you. marketers can use or anyone, anything we can do to actually improve customer experience, give yeah. us a boost, boost. Like we often talk about, right? We will full intelligent automation. We'll get augmentation from, you know, the humans to the machine as the machines are trying to understand what's really right or how do humans think or what are acceptable norms, right? And then we get the point where this actually helps a lot with augmenting the human with the machine to actually improve that capability to actually deliver better customer experience. And then, of course, at some point, we'll have a point where when do we actually have human touch, right? When do you want to insert yeah. human touch friction so that you have that engagement so people feel like it's personalized, right? And I think we're all trying to figure that out. And, and that's, that's part of the overall journey. Um, Real quick, one last thing for you, um, I guess on my end, last questions is, is really about, right, we just talked about the metaverse. We talked about where that's kind of headed. Uh, what does that mean for you and your efforts as a marketer, right? Is that something you're looking into on B2B marketing? Is the metaverse ready? Or is that something that might be 12 to eight month, 18 months out for you? Or maybe it just doesn't make sense for the type of customers you're serving. So. Well, first, I thought that conversation with Kathy was fascinating. Like, that's so... Cool. I'll say we are not there today and probably won't be there in the near term, but I think the implications and in you have, I, I've talked about this, right? Like for customer engagement and how you might use the metaverse. I think it's cool. Again, we're not there yet. Um, it's certainly something we want to look at because I do think there's a place for it in customer engagement. I think it's, a, it's kind of an obvious synergy. Yeah. yeah Agreed. Well, Imagine well, if every contact center has their own avatar. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Imagine. No, you know, like uh, we talked about the healthcare industry in your latest yeah. survey being 30 points gap between the high achieving engagement uh, industries versus 
to be able to create a digital twin, maybe of a waiting room, or how you navigate in a hospital that's a large campus environment, uh, to, to, so that the patient prior to actually physically being at, yeah. in, my, in my town, we have massive hospital yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, locations. It's literally like walking in a college campus. And to go from one department to another, from eye care to oncology to whatever it may be, uh, to me, a digital twin option that allows you to be comfortable, before, would, yeah. it would be an amazing, uh, amazing way to you engage. You think about the anxiety that comes with totally. that hospital visit or that, totally. and you're being able to experience it. That's a great, yeah. Ray wrote an HBR article, what, five years ago, Ray, in terms of how you can digitally engage with healthcare and patients. I mean, maybe six years ago. I mean, you were so far like, ahead of like eight. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, like I, like, so there, I think there are certain industries that really should think about how they can use digital technologies to enhance the engagement um, you know, framework. Uh, in some in some industries, it's sorely missing, and in others like retail, it's 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 incredible. Go ahead, Matt, your, your final. Question. No, no, no. I was going to say, look, uh, this has been wonderful. Um, let's not wait two more years before you yeah. get on the show again. <laughs> you know, we're here with Celia Fleischecker, CMO of Verant. And of course, you can follow on Twitter at C-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-A-K-E-R. So thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. Thanks, Happy Celia. Friday. Thank you all. Thank Have you. a good Cheers. one. Thank you. Extraordinary CMO. Yeah. Uh, really, really smart CMO and leading a, almost a billion dollar company. Okay, this is what we call our cleanup hitter spot, where the last guest comes and hits a grand slam and just everybody loves the show. Amazing. <laughs> it's our uh, privilege to have uh, Elisa Licht, award-winning marketeer, mentor, best-selling author, podcaster, uh, personal branding expert, and founder of Leave Your Mark a multimedia brand and consultancy. Elisa advises businesses and mentors individuals on brand building and career development. She was formerly known as the anonymous social media phenomenon, DKNY PR girl, an award-winning personality and pioneer fashion influencer with over one and a half million fans worldwide. Elisa's first book, Leave Your Mark, Land Your Dream Job, Kill It in Your Career, Rock Social Media was ranked on Book Authority's 100 Best Career Development Books of All Time. Every year they publish this list. Uh, her weekly podcast, Leave Your Mark, delivers essential advice and inspiration. Elisa was named one of America's next top mentors by New York Times. Business Insider named Elisa one of the top 20 most innovative career coaches. Ray, you and I needed Elisa's advice years ago. I know, we, we need Elisa. advice. We need a lot of help. You're gonna help us here. Her upcoming book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Shape Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, will be published April 18th, next week. Wow, look at that silver cover. We're That's getting awesome. the preview. <laughs> Weird. You can follow Elisa on Twitter at, oh, she must be an early adopter, A-L-I-Z-A-L-I-C-H-T. Welcome, Elisa, to Destruct TV. Thank you so much for that amazing intro. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah we're happy to have you here. And, and Vala's intros have been used in walk-ups and keynotes all the time, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the first thing that goes. It's Come like, on, you know, you see the picture, you see the thing, you see yeah. the walk down. We but have this the best people on the show, the best. <laughs> And this is part of that personal branding journey, right, that you're talking about. And and one thing that you pointed out was the fact that if you're not writing your narrative, somebody else will or might do it in a way that you're not going to be happy. Talk a little bit about that because that's a great starting point because this whole world of digital media, inf 
influencing social media, right? What's going to happen in the metaverse? I mean, it's happening so fast and some people don't even know their reputation, their brands or their stories are being created for them. Such a good point. And your previous guests were so brilliant. So yeah, I mean, the fun fact is that we all have a personal brand. Everyone does. It starts with what makes you you, right? So the question is, how are you messaging? How are you intending to message? What's your goal? And how are people perceiving you? And when we talk about shaping our narrative, we're really talking about how do you make sure, and you know, as you know, I'm a former publicist, so I think in terms of headlines, how do we make sure that we are communicating the headline we want people to take away so that they can speak about us on our behalf? And to me, a strong personal brand is when your name is dropped in rooms you're not in, right? Yeah, no, definitely. So should I keep the black jacket and the logo that's here well, that's or should I go for something identity. new? That's the visual identity section of On Brand. We yep. have a whole section on that. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. You're, you're, you're enhancing your personal brand, Ray, by doing this whole thing in a car. That's awesome. Uh, so you I'm mentioned, uh, you know, you're, you're clearly one of the world's top mentors uh, uh, in terms of brand building. How do you find a mentor uh, that's good to, uh, that, that can help you develop a personal brand and, and also meet your professional needs? Well, I literally put it in this book, to be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. what I think is really user-friendly about On Brand is that for every single topic of personal branding, and by the way, it's not just online. For people who don't want to be on social media, I get it. That's fine. Yeah. To me, yeah. LinkedIn is non-negotiable, but everything else is up for grabs. <laughs> so, so I make, I do these exercises. It's like a workbook within the book called Mental Gymnastics to kind of hold your hand and give you small, digestible, bite-sized goals to walk you through. But your question directly is answered by saying, everyone always asks it in singularity. And I don't think it's about this magic mentor who's going to sweep you off your feet and all of a sudden give you the career of your dreams. I think it's about understanding the people in your orbit and taking a little bit of wisdom from every single person and almost curating your own personal advisory board. I love that. Yeah. I love that. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, everyone you meet board. knows more about something than you do. So the advice you're giving to our audience in terms of uh, welcome random collisions and, and stay interested because again, everyone you meet knows something uh, yeah. more about than you do. So that's great advice. Go ahead, Ray. No, and hey, the other piece is branding is not about talking about yourself, right? It's not about just being out there. You mentioned that it's really important to do it with, um, I, I think it's really about context and empathy and do it in a gracious way, right? Talking more about why that's important, um, given where we are and, and, and where we are in terms of how society is reacting to lots of things. Yeah, wow, society. Um, so listen, I mean, I wrote on brand not for the intention of creating monsters, there's a spotlight on the cover because I want people to understand that they do need to shine a light on themselves to let people know their value and what they add and bring to the table and to be their own heroes, but not to the extent that they become the villain. And I think that's a really important point because nobody wants to listen to somebody talking about themselves all day. However, no however, waiting for people to notice that you're good at what you do is also not a strategy. So to your point, how do you do it strategically and graciously? 
I believe, number one, if you're sharing a win, try to also think bigger than yourself. Who else around you helped you get to that point? Mm -hmm. And number two, for every win that you share, proactively go out and amplify five other people in what they've done or support them in some way. And I think that ratio is a way to make sure that you're communicating what you're proud of, but also not talking about yourself all day. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, what, what's some of the biggest mistakes you see people do on their journey? Um, I mean, you know, uh, smart people make original mistakes, so they don't try to repeat. Um, but what are some of the mistakes that, that you see? And perhaps maybe you can even share with us Maybe yeah, you maybe, made, uh, yeah, yeah. Along the or way. about us, or about us. <laughs> or about us. Like I, I, I think my LinkedIn presence is weak. I'm not sure about the Disrupt TV brand. I mean, we we get about fifty thousand people that watch the episode, so we have some numbers that say we're doing an okay job. But I don't, I don't really know about our, our the brand of a show that is six years old and we've interviewed over a thousand guests or getting close to a thousand guests. But uh, going back to my question, maybe we'll leave the Disrupt TV mistakes behind. <laughs> but what are some of the- <laughs> We'll take those in private. <laughs> yeah, we'll take those in private. But I know we could be doing better. I just know it. Yes, my we definitely feel can. Is we can. Um, uh, but some mistakes that you see people make, common mistakes. Well, there is unfortunately a lot of mistakes that people make. Mm-hmm. Um, the first mistake is not thinking about your personal brand, right? Because you're leaving an impression in every single thing you do, from email to social media, when you log on to a Zoom meeting, every single aspect of your communication is being sort of received and judged in some way, right? So, so that's number one. The second thing is, is really <laughs> being tone deaf to your own voice, right? So really, like going back to what we just said before, it's like, you, you have to have a recipe for success that includes humility and empathy, like you said before, right? And a lot of people think that personal branding is all about just me, 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 marketing, marketing, marketing. And it's not. It's really about understanding who you are, what you're currently known for, what you want to be known for, and making sure other people see you that way. And the easiest way for me to describe it is to say that self-reflection, how you think about yourself, needs to marry to public perception. And how we do that, and in On Brand, I walk you through, like, if you think of three adjectives to describe yourself professionally, you could probably come up with three adjectives, right? But if you asked each other, tell me three adjectives that describe me professionally without leading the witness, those words may or may not be the same. So you may see yourself one way and they may see yourself another. And you actually do need to do the work to understand, well, what do people actually think? And a lot, and it's uncomfortable work, right? It's uncomfortable to be like, so what do you think about me? What do you think my superpower is? Um, and, and so I think the thought process. So what I try to do in On Brand is demystify all of this and make it really easy. And honestly, I start with myself because I had to rebrand myself after leaving my very long-term role at Donna Karen, being a very public social media personality, millions of followers, millions of media impressions. And then I was a person without a job, without a corporate title, with a new book, yay, yay for me, but also in the middle of kind of like an identity crisis of like, well, wait, like, what do I want to be known for now? I'm not this persona anymore. 
So I had to rebrand and there is a lot that goes into doing that. And it starts with thinking about yourself differently. You know, that's a great point, right? And, and part of that too is really, you know, sometimes we're known for who we are. Sometimes the brand that we're representing or the brand that we're part of, you know, gets mixed into our personal brand. Uh, and one of the hottest conversations here is really about, you know, how do people do that? Uh, especially when we're talking about weighing in on political issues and everything's political. Mm -hmm. People are being triggered by everything. People are getting excited about everything. We have companies that will not buy from other companies because of their CEO's political stances, right? We have companies that are protesting other companies for their political stances. Uh, and as an individual and as someone that might represent a brand that has those views, how do you actually separate that or distance yourself or maybe engage or double down on that? Like, what, what do people do? Well, so in the content strategy, the brand guardrail strategy of on brand. Yep, the guardrails, yep. Guardrails, like I got to have guardrails. Um, you know, you go through a Venn diagram exercise where you can sort of decide like sort of what your belief system is, your purpose filter, your mission, what are you passionate about? What do you feel is absolutely something you must speak about because you're so passionate and you need to put your voice into that conversation? What are some other things that you could actually let other people handle? And in the crisis communications section of the book, which is the sustain your brand part, we talk about, I speak to an anonymous, um, very, very high profile public relations crisis comms person who could not actually be named in the book. And we talk about the idea that when you speak out as a company or an individual, the assumption is that you are educated enough to speak on that subject. Hmm. So uh, not every company needs to speak about something and not every CEO needs to be needs to speak about something. So if you are going to, the first thing to do is to decide like, is this topic or issue directly related to your business, your stakeholders, your employees? Like what is the temperature in the room? And then decide if it is actually your place to weigh in. And Sally Sussman, who's brilliant, who has a, she's the head of comms and public affairs at Pfizer. She has a new book out and she actually speaks about like her five principles of, of how to decide whether to weigh in or weigh not, weigh in or not. And I think she has a really great framework. And I actually I agree, I agree. Are, have the same, a same, a similar framework because not yep. every conversation is yours. No. That makes sense. And shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. You should be careful be. which ones you do. So when I was 40 years old, I had zero digital footprint. I wasn't on last year. What's going on, man? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't on any social network, didn't speak publicly. I, I was just running an engineering function at a tech company. My first tweet was when I was 41. Uh, podcast book, uh, you know, writing, uh, being a columnist for uh, Huffington Post and ZD, then all that came in mid 40s. Uh, I'm an introvert, and I continue to struggle with imposter syndrome. Uh, my question, what advice do you have for people who are who philosophically understand the importance of uh, a digital uh, footprint yeah. in terms of their brand, but they are introverts, they, they struggle with imposter syndrome, and they don't necessarily have the courage, like I didn't have for 41 years, to, to put themselves out there? <clears throat> okay, I'm having a really hard time believing you're an introvert. <laughs> I, 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 so I went, I went to school and studied. He plays an extrovert on TV. No, no, no I, I went to school studying <laughs> electric, electrical engineering undergrad and grad. And for the first 10 years of my career, I was in a cube writing software and I loved it. Uh, 
and then a bunch of accidents let me here, but uh, it's too boring to discuss. I, I, if we were at a dinner party, I would be in the corner just watching people, hoping someone will come and start a conversation with me. Okay. I love meeting people, but I just, I'm not the one who starts it. Uh, right. So fundamentally, I believe that if you're in the room, you belong there. And a lot of people get opportunities and they start to say to themselves like, well, I mean, should I have been chosen for this? Or am I the smartest person to do yeah. this? Or am I deserving of this thing? And in On Brand, I talk about the idea of like, don't worry how you got in the room. <laughs> worry what you're going to do in the room. But to directly answer your question about social media and that feeling of like, I can't put myself out there. There's degrees of putting yourself out there, right? No one ever said on social media to be successful, you have to put your entire life on there. You can decide those guardrails. But the other really great thing is you can be on social media by amplifying other people or pieces of content that speak for you, right? That you aligned with, or even be a thought leader in the comments. Yep. That's something Kelly Schrader, the head great of creator, Callie Schweitzer is in the book. I have expert contributors in certain sections and she is the head of creators on LinkedIn. And she really advocates for people thinking about thought leaderships in thought leadership in the comments. Great yeah. advice. And great the, the comments is a great way to continue that conversation, share different perspectives. And yeah, yeah she's always been a great person at, at talking about that. So, so hey, well, there's, there's so many great things in this book. I can't wait to get my hands and dig into it like super deep. Um, I, I think it's really important to really think about like folks, a lot of folks are in the middle of transition and they're trying to figure out how to rebrand themselves for, for jobs, right? Or, or to go in a different way or to pivot. Are there certain steps that they should take first, right? Um, is it really about like, almost like, you know, when we do brand assessments to see where you are today and where you go next? Uh, is that kind of the advice that you're suggesting? Yes, and it's exactly why I think On Brand is different because I've taken over two decades of fashion, luxury, marketing, and communications and later digital strategy. And everything I've done with brands, I've applied to people. So yes, it does start with sort of like a brand audit. And we, if we think in terms of job hunting and you think in terms of like your resume and the bullet points you have on your resume and the keywords you have on your resume, I would look to, to find similar job profiles of the title and the industry that you're looking to transition to. Print out a couple uh, a couple companies' postings and circle the commonalities between what they're asking for, key skills, and what you have on your resume. Because we all know skills are transferable. It, you know, it doesn't matter the industry you're in, but you have to prove it, right? And to do that, you have to shape that narrative to pitch yourself and say like, listen, I, I can do X, Y, and Z. I know I'm coming from a different industry, but here's why I have a fresh perspective and can give a new lens to what you're already doing. So it's all about the spin of connecting the dots between what you know how to do and what they're looking for. But more than that, you need to tell people. And part mm -hmm. of the issue when people are job hunting is they do it kind of in silo. So I really think it's about reaching out to your community and saying like, hey, everyone, I want to let you know I'm really looking to pivot into X, Y, and Z. Here is my resume. Here's, here's why I think I'm qualified, even though I haven't worked in that industry mm -hmm. before. And if you hear anything, you know, I would greatly appreciate a lead. I mean, but if you don't tell them, how could they help you? 
It's great. It's it's great advice. Um, I, I can tell you the last four vice presidents that I recruited into my company, uh, I didn't even look at their resume. They had followed your formula and had such a strong digital presence. I saw their keynotes. I saw their articles. I saw their panel discussions. I could I could get a, a clear visibility into their abilities their 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 core values again they had such a strong digital presence that i could align even their core values to my companies and and over a million people applied to my company annually uh so to be able to recruit without a cv i think ultimately when people read your book and execute your advice they may get to a point where they don't even need a cv because they have such a strong digital presence your thoughts on you know will our children have a CV 10 years from now, is this just something that's, you're not gonna put your life on two pages and, and go to a company, you, you, it'll just all be digital and, and it'll be mostly social. It will all be digital, but you're also talking to someone who bought my children their websites when they were born. So I'm prepared oh, for everything. That's awesome. I did the same thing. I did the same thing that as well. Awesome. So. I bought my son an Ethereum, uh, but I need to go get him a website. <laughs> well, I mean, well, let's, I mean, we can talk about that for a second because I do think part of what I'm really passionate in, in teaching people in this book is owning equity in your name. Yes. And in my first book, Leave Your Mark, and I repeat it in this because it's so important, I, I recommend not suffering from what I call last name syndrome. So I was Eliza from DKNY. That was my name yep. when I was there. And I didn't build equity in my name. I, I aligned myself and leveraged the credibility of where I worked. And, and, and that's fine. So many people do. But like, what if you don't work there anymore? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Oh my God, we have to go. We're out of time. I cannot believe it. We're with Elisa Lip, award-winning marketer, mentor, best-selling author, podcaster, personal branding expert, and the founder of Leave Your Mark with her new book on brand. And of course, you have to follow her on Twitter at Elisa Lick. And of course, you want to follow her on LinkedIn, where we're seeing a lot of activity there. And of course, everywhere <laughs> where you're at and your new podcast. So thanks a lot for being on the show. And thanks for the advice. So this Thank was you. so fun. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what just three extraordinary guests, uh, a, a technologist, trailblazer, an amazing CMO, and a branding expert that's that's just dropped so much wisdom in 20 minutes. For me, it felt like two minutes. Uh, Ray, this we could talk for hours. Um, your, your summary of the last hour, please. Wow, we are so out of time. I'll see if I can do it even quicker. Look, marketing is changing. We are in a digital world, an immersive world. Every piece of that means that we've got to improve the way we view ourselves. The personal branding aspect that elisa has been talking about is important because us, our avatars, right, our presence, who we are, are going to continue to change. That engagement is actually moving in different ways, whether you're in B2B, like Celia's at Verant, right, in terms of how customers are engaging with other companies. That's going to change companies and brands have personalities, personas. Uh, that are going to transcend further into the digital world. And of course, Kathy talking about where the metaverse implications on luxury and branding. I mean, those are real. Companies actually have personas. If you're a company, what was the personality like? What are you supposed to engage like? How would that interaction be like? Who are you? And I think this is going to be huge as we go further as you know, we look at digital identity, the convergence of digital engagement and experiences, and what might happen in these immersive worlds. So back to you, Vala. 
I love the uh, uh, comment with our last guest. Your, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. That is so important. And, and hopefully when you and I are not in the room, people are like, man, did you catch the last episode of Disrupt TV? It was awesome. <laughs> you know, we, we have a good friend where his brand is actually bigger than his company, right? And, you know, that that's, it's huge. We got a lot of friends that have brands that are bigger than their companies and they manage it really well, yeah, right? Really so. Okay, next week. Uh, next week, you're not going to be with us. So Dion Hinchcliffe is going to be co-host with me. We're going to miss you, but Dion is amazing. So we're in good hands. We're going to have Pat Calhoun, CEO of Espressive, uh, and then Eduardo Camacho's Chief Customer Officer at BMC. And finally, Sheena Lengar, author of Think Bigger, How to Innovate. So get your popcorn ready, fasten your seatbelt. Next week's episode is going to be as amazing as this week's. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.